0: Welcome to the Siskiy Christian Fellowship Podcast. Our prayer is that the following verse-by-verse teaching of God's Word would bring you closer to Jesus. Psalm 93, even as we just sang, the Lord reigns. Boy, that really is what Psalm 93 is all about. It's about the sovereign reign of God. Uh, the, The... that really uh, there's nothing mightier, uh, there's nothing more majestic, there's nothing more powerful, steadfast, higher uh, than the Lord. And this psalm it is really just a psalm that, that praises the Lord for his greatness, for his glory, uh, for his eternal universal kingdom and reign. And, and what a refreshing uh, idea, thought, truth that is. It's not a thought, it's not an idea, it's a reality, it's a truth. That the Lord reigns, that his kingdom is supreme, and that although we see things in the world flipped upside down currently, boy, they won't be like that forever, and the Lord is still on the throne. And so um, this psalm, like so many other psalms, it has layers. It has just a very practical layer that we can use this psalm to to praise the Lord for his greatness, for his might, for his kingdom today and forever forever. Uh, There is the historical context where Israel used this psalm in their worship services. But then there is the prophetic uh, layer that looks forward to the day when Jesus, the rightful king of earth, comes and establishes his rule on his planet. And boy, that's going to be a good day. I look forward to that, and I know you do too. And so we'll just jump right in to Psalm 93 verse 1. Shorty, it's short, but it's powerful. Only five verses. So it says The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed. He has girded himself with strength. Surely the world is established so that it cannot be moved. Your throne is established from old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier. Than the noise of many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea, and your testimonies are very sure. Holiness adorns your house, O Lord, forever. And so the Lord reigns; He truly does. The Lord reigns supreme. He is in charge. He is in control. He's Lord. That's what Lord means. It it, it means that He is the one who owns everything. Uh, He is the King of Kings. All authority belongs to God. And in the end, his will is accomplished. Uh, That is it. He has the final say. Uh, His will is the will, the end, period. That's it. God is in control. He reigns. But this is where things get a little bit dicey from our perspective, right? Because even as Christians, we say, Lord, well, if you reign and if you're on the throne— then why do we look around at the world and see that it is such a disaster? If you are sovereign and in control, well, Lord, why is is everything so uh, crazy? For now, the simple answer is that God has allowed Satan to have a certain amount of authority uh, in this world. Satan, in Scripture, he's called the, the prince of power. Uh, of this air there in Ephesians 22. The prince of power of the air. That's an interesting title for Satan, if you ask me. When I mean, you think about all of the destruction that flows through the air via however, I don't even know, how does the movie get on my iPhone? Uh, don't ask me. I was confused when it was coming through wires. Now that it's coming through the air, I mean, but the prince of the power of the air. Interesting that Satan is known as that. Uh, in John twelve thirty-one, he's known as the ruler of this world. Interesting. That is not to say that he rules the world completely. God is still sovereign, but it does mean that God, in his infinite wisdom, has allowed Satan to operate in this world within the boundaries uh, that God has set for him. Uh, Satan is like a dog on a leash. God is still in control, but for Whatever reason that we cannot understand, remember, God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He has allowed Satan this reign for a time being on this earth. But here's what you have to understand. Satan's dominion is over unbelievers and unbelievers only. We are not part of Satan's kingdom. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. Colossians 1.13 makes that clear, that that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's pretty awesome. Isn't that cool when you think about that? That that we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. That's pretty cool. Satan has no rule or authority in our lives whatsoever, only over uh, unbelievers. And so... Satan rules over the unbelieving world because the unbelieving world has rejected the true and living king. It's not because Jesus isn't king. Jesus is king. But they've rejected Jesus, and they are following the false king who is usurping Jesus' authority, and that is, of course, Satan. And this all began in the Garden of Eden. This all began when man sinned, basically, in the beginning, when God created uh, everything, he, he put it under man's control. He said, here it is, Adam, Eve, have at it. I give you dominion over everything. Just don't eat of that one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and you'll be great. But of course, we all know how the story goes. It's a bummer. Uh, but in that moment, they surrendered their authority. They, they lost their authority, and Satan came in, and uh, he... he, he he took control. God allowed him to. And so if you're me, that, that opens up a whole nother question. Well, why did God allow Satan to tempt Adam and Eve to begin with? Lord, why, why did you do it? Here's the thing. God created you and me, humanity, with relationship in mind. God wanted a love relationship with his creation. We're different than the angels. We're different than the animals. We're created in God's image. We're created for his good pleasure, like we talked about on Sunday. He desires this love relationship, fellowship with us. God created us to have fellowship with him. Think on that for a second. Let that blow your mind. But here's the thing. True love can't exist in a vacuum. True love can't exist without free will. So God gave us a choice. He said, you can choose me or you can choose your own rebellion. And you guys know that we chose poorly. And sin entered into this world. And because sin entered in, boy, uh, this is where it all fell apart. And and today, in our fallen world, unbelievers, they follow Satan's agenda. They follow Satan's ideologies and false philosophies, from, from murder to uh, abortion to abuse to drunkenness to sexual perversion to believing that uh, you know you can be saved through works—all uh, those realms of of uh, of falsehood—he rules all over all of those. But see, here's the thing: all the depravity and everything that we see right now going on in our world, boy, it's temporary. There's coming a day. When the true king will sit on the throne, again, Jesus, he will rule this earth, and it's going to be a glorious day. You guys remember uh, Robin Hood, right? Prince John, that little weasel, right? Uh, The true king was who? Richard the Lionheart. And he came back, and he put the hurt on him. That's exactly what's going to happen. Uh, Someday, Jesus is going to, and that's obviously just a cheesy kid's cartoon. Robin, it's actually a pretty good cartoon. That's a good story. Uh, but the reality is Jesus is going to come and he's going to set all wrongs right. Um, you know, we have next on the, the prophetic timeline, the rapture of the church. Boy, what a wonderful thing that's going to be. When in the twinkling of an eye, man, the Lord comes there in First Thessalonians chapter 4. He comes and he snatches us up. We'll be caught up, harpazoed, to literally be snatched up and, and taken. The Lord is going to take us to, to heaven with him. And there we will enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be seven years of this honeymoon. It's going to be great hanging out with the Lord and and fellowshipping with him. But during those seven years back on earth, it's going to be crazy. God's wrath is going to be being poured out on the the world. It will literally be a, a time of hell on earth. But at the end of that honeymoon period, that seven years, at the end of that tribulation period, boy, the Lord comes back. It's his second coming, and we come by his side. And again, he wipes out all the nations of the world that would stand against Israel and his people and against who he is. And that ushers in this glorious time known as the millennial reign. It's going to be peace and prosperity like the world has never seen before. The lion will lay with the lamb. Kids will play with rattlesnakes, and there will be no fear whatsoever. F-22 Raptors will be melted down and turned into, you know, uh, John Deere combines. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful season. The curse uh, will be lifted. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And how wonderful is that going to be? It's going to be wonderful. For a thousand years, it's going to be peace and prosperity. At the end of that thousand years, you guys know what happens. Satan is is loosed for a season. Because all of the people who were born during that millennial reign, who never had to to choose between right and wrong, will have that temptation again. At the end of that season where Satan is loosed again, there will be the Great White Throne Judgment, the Lake of Fire, just total judgment and, and then a new heaven and a new earth and, and everybody lives happily ever after. But boy, it's going to be good. That I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be good. The government will be just right. It'll be just Jesus ruling and reigning. See, so we have a pretty sweet form of government uh, here in the United States. The Democratic Republic based on our Constitution. It, it's fantastic. Uh, it, it's got its flaws for sure, but it's definitely the best game in town. There's no doubt about it. Uh, And, and, you know, there's this this move, this popularity that socialism is is kind of on the rise. Like, ah, you know, uh, this whole system that we have is failing us. So let's move away from self-governance and and the, the, the government gaining power through the people. And, you know... The government must have missed a memo on that one, too. Because, you know, here's the thing. With our form of government, the preamble tells us uh, well, what this is all about. Uh, to establish justice and to ensure domestic tranquility and provide for the common defense and promote the general warfare and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Boy, the government needs to remember what they are there for. Not to tell us what to do, but to, man, to ensure all of these things. It's going to be better than that in the millennial reign. And there's no government needed. Socialism leads to communism, to corruption, and to uh, an autocracy where there's just one guy in control, and that's a disaster. And it's a disaster because men are sinful. But when Jesus rules and reigns, it'll just be Him calling all the shots but it's going to be perfect because Jesus is perfect. And I'm looking forward to that day. And really, that's what this psalm is pointing to. And it says, man, the Lord reigns. The Lord is on the throne now, but we're in this weird season where his authority is being usurped. Not as though Jesus can't do anything about it, but for a season, he's allowing it uh, for his own purposes. He's like a dog on a leash. And so the Lord reigns, Uh, verse one. He's clothed in majesty. Uh, He's girded himself with strength uh, surely the world is established, so it can't be moved. Your throne is established from old. You are from everlasting. All of these attributes of the Lord—majestic uh, and, and, and powerful, and and uh, eternal, everlasting. Uh, it's interesting. We were talking about just this one word in men's lunch last week. We were in the psalm, and. Uh, we're looking at the, this word majesty and just, man, as majesty describes, we think of a king as being majestic. But we just talked about how we misuse this word so grossly, this word majestic uh, that is used to describe God as the king. And we, we say things like, man, that horse is majestic or, or that sunset was majestic. And those things are awesome and great, but boy, they pale in comparison to the majesty and the might and the beauty of the Lord. What we see in creation... Uh, With the telescope and with the the microscope and all the beautiful things we can see with our naked eye. Man, it's just the tip of the iceberg. And God is so amazing. Words cannot even begin to describe the majesty and the glory and the wonder of the God that we serve. And so the psalmist goes through uh, just a few of these attributes that literally we could spend all night unpacking, but we won't. Uh, Then he goes into this idea that the floods, they've lifted up, and uh, they've lifted up their voice, and and the the, the waves are are kind of raging. Uh, And in those days, you know, traditionally, uh, Jews were terrified of the water. They were terrified Uh, of the sea. They were terrified of floods. They just didn't like it. That's just, uh, read through all Jewish history this time, and it's just, they did not, they're not a seafaring people. They had no navy. They didn't trade by ship. They didn't like the water. When they fished, they fished the shallows uh, up to about, you know, eight, 10 feet of water. They're close to the shore on the Sea of Galilee. And you remember when the, the disciples got sent across the sea and the storm arose up, and they freaked out. Because they did not like the water to begin with. I'm kind of with them, honestly. If I'm just going to be transparent, there's this this thing I have about being lost at sea where it just terrifies me. It's the worst way to die. To be sunburnt to death and thirsty. Sounds like the worst. And so I've made this thing. Guys want to take me fishing. No can do. I'll fish from the shore, but I'm not going out in the ocean. Because here's the thing. If I don't go out in the ocean, I'll never get lost at sea. Uh, Stands to reason, right? That's what I say. But they were terrified of the water. And uh, there in that region, it's desert. And so it doesn't rain often, but when it rains, well, you can get storms that come through that just dump rain, and the ground isn't, uh, you know, prepared to take all that rain, so they have these flash floods, much like it happened in Southern California this last week with Hurricane Hillary. And and I say Hurricane Hillary, and all the people on the East Coast are like... (laughs) Hurricane Hillary, what are you guys talking about over there? But they got a lot of rain. And you see pictures of, of L.A. just flood out. Dodger Stadium all around it flooded out. Water up to the roofs. And then someone was telling me, I think it's my wife, that there was a big earthquake the same day. Or, or five point. I mean, that's, that's enough. When you got a hurricane going on, sheesh. But you talk about the signs of the times. Crazy stuff. Uh, but The flood. Has anybody ever witnessed a flood? What was it, like 94, 96, there was a flood that came through, wiped out Ashland's Park. And I remember watching just how powerful the floodwaters were. That was a tiny little flood. And that's what the psalmist is getting at. Their their point of reference is just this this strength of floodwaters. And in their mind, the great flood, that was a pretty powerful event, wiped out humanity, except for Noah's family. Uh, The Red Sea swallowed up the Egyptian army. That was a lasting impression Uh, It was a big deal. But what they're saying is, man, all the power of the flooding waters, man, it wipes out and it washes away. But even the raging sea is nothing to the Lord. And that's the idea, is the Lord is so mighty, even the mightiest thing that they could think of paled in comparison to the might of the Lord. That's great. That is good news for us because we belong to him. He is our strength. He is our refuge. He is our hiding place. And if nothing can take him out, then nothing can take us out that's great. I'm glad that our Lord is in the paper bag. You know, we can take refuge in him and we know that we're safe and secure. And then the end of the psalm, the psalmist speaks of his testimonies. Your testimonies are very sure. Uh, Holiness adorns your house O Lord forever. What are the testimonies of the Lord? Testimonies is a poetic word uh, of saying uh, God's word. This is this reference to God's word. Your, your, your testimonies are sure. And I really love that. I love that God's word is sure. I love that God's word is trustworthy and true and unchanging. Uh, I take great comfort in that. We live in a world, again, that is so confused. We live in a world that is so unsure about everything. As a culture currently, we are having difficulty defining a woman. We're having a debate whether or not we're going to let men use the same restroom and changing room as our wives and daughters. Whether or not men are going to compete against women in sports, we're so confused, we're so unsure, and we flip-flop back and forth from decade to decade, year to year, even day to day, but not with the Word of God. The Word of God is constant, it's sure, it's trustworthy, and it's our only truth. See, in our culture today, there's this idea that truth is on a shifting scale, that it's all relative, that you can live your truth and I can live my truth. There is no your truth or my truth. There is only the truth. That is it. And so God's word, it's solid. It's sure. It's bedrock. And that's why it's so important for us as his kids, as his followers, that we study his word, that we know it, that we study to show ourselves approved. Workmen who needeth not be ashamed, that we can rightly divide the word of truth. And so often people are duped because they don't know the word of God. Christians, good, honest, God-loving Christians are duped by people who have an agenda. Even in the church, Man, don't take what I say is gospel. You better know it for yourself because there are churches who will misrepresent the scriptures to teach you falsehood. There was a Methodist church where they invited a guest speaker who was a drag queen. And they called all the children up to the stage. Maybe you saw this. And he shared with these children in front of everybody, Romans twelve 2, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And he said, little children, Don't let the world tell you that you have to be a boy or a girl. God wants you to explore and and all this. And you say, man, why didn't somebody tackle that fool? (laughs) But if you handle the real deal all the time, the genuine article, if you study through the scriptures and you know the whole context, the Old Testament, the New New Testament, all of it in context, then when the counterfeit comes along, man, it's going to stick out like a sore thumb. And you'll know it. And it sounds like a no-brainer to us. Because here we are. We're doing this thing. We're going through the word. We're studying it out. But encourage other believers to do this. It's so important that we know uh, the word of God. And so the Lord reigns. Man, he is great. He is mighty. He is solid. He is sure. His word is. Uh, It's a little psalm. But I tell you what, it packs a a good punch. Uh, Psalm 94. Psalm 94 is uh, a call uh, really for God to intervene uh, against the wicked. Uh, the righteous are, are being uh, oppressed. Uh, they're being harassed and uh, killed even. And, and the wicked seem to be prospering and it would seem like God doesn't care. Now, this is the dilemma that we deal with uh, even in our day and age. Why does wickedness... Uh, continue. Why does the, the Lord allow the wicked to prosper while he allow the, the, the righteous to suffer? And there are many Psalms that deal with this. Psalm 10, Psalm 14, Psalm 73, now Psalm uh, 94. This idea that, the, again, the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer. And again, we can relate to that in our day and age, can't we? We look at the condition of the world. Uh, we look at our, our nation. We look at our state. We look at even our little community. And we see just the injustices that, that take place. And, and we could say, just like the, the psalmist does, Lord, why do you allow the wicked to prosper? Uh, why, why do you allow the righteous to suffer at, at their hand? And before we get into this psalm, there's a quote from G. Campbell Morgan uh, in reference to this, and I really like it. It was very encouraging to me. He said, In this song, we see how the very things which assault faith And threaten to produce despair, may be made the opportunity for praise. And that's awesome because those very things, when we see the the wicked prosper and the 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 righteous suffer, those are things that can shake our faith, that can lead to despair. But those are the very same things, when we look at them in the context of who God is and what the future of the wicked is and what the future of the righteous is, that causes us to praise the Lord. Uh, And and not to despair when we remember that the Lord is on the throne and that he is just and that he'll set all wrongs right. And so that's kind of the premise. The first uh, seven verses, they're a call for God to intervene against the wicked. Uh, The next few verses after that are a warning to the wicked. And then the last few verses uh, really are just a consolation uh, or a comfort to God's people. And so uh, Psalm 94 verse 1 O Lord, to whom vengeance belongs, O God, to whom vengeance belongs, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? They they utter speech and speak insolent things. All the workers of iniquity boast in themselves. They break in pieces your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Yet they say, the Lord does not see, nor does the Lord God of Jacob understand. And so the psalmist, as he kind of pitches this dilemma of the wicked prospering and the righteous suffering at their hand, he really opens up this word with a nugget of wisdom. He opens up this psalm with just a piece of truth that we ought to hang on to, and that is vengeance is the Lord's. Uh, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Romans 12, 19 says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith, saith the Lord. Uh, we all know what it is like to be wronged. We all know what it's like to, to have somebody come against us, or hurt us, or rip us off, or slander us, or, or whatever the case may be. We all know what it's like Uh, to be wrong. And we know that instinct to get back at them. Uh, We want to come back on them. And often we want to bring that vengeance ourselves. We want to take matters into our own hands. We want to repay evil uh, with evil. Uh, A couple days ago, me and uh, a few of the fellows from the fellowship, we went uh, on a motorcycle campout trip. Man, it was cool. We cruised up I-5 and across to the coast, and our reservations got messed up, and we were knocking on, we weren't really knocking on doors, but we were checking all the sites and trying to find a spot, and the Lord miraculously gave us a spot, and we had just great fellowship for a few days. It was a lot of fun. It was a huge blessing. But on the way home, and we're cruising down I-5, just in a hurry to get home, and uh, we're all together, and this car comes right up on one of the guys. I mean, close, riding his tail, and then
1: <coughs>
0: just goes jamming by us on the inside. Now, that's a sketchy proposition when you're going eighty-five miles when you're going sixty-five miles an hour on a motorcycle. <laughs> it's a little bit sketchy, and so this person drives by, and I say, "Oh yeah," and I start chasing this person down. Like, I'm just confessing, your pastor decided to chase somebody down uh, on his motorcycle because they passed, it's going too fast. And as I'm going, I really felt the Lord, like, grab me by the collar. Like, and not, not really, I'm not saying that the Lord grabbed me, but you know when the Lord gets a hold of you. And he's like, what are you going to do, Pastor Jeremy? <laughs> you going to hunt this guy down in what? And so I, I decide, you know, it's just how we are, though. I mean, that's how I am. I can't speak for you guys. But it can be our nature sometimes to say, all right, you wronged me, and I'm going to get you back. But that is so not God's plan for us. Even when somebody is absolutely, grossly, 100% way out of line, that is not God's plan for us to take vengeance. 1 Peter 3, 9 says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil With blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. See, we are called to repay insults with blessing. We are called to repay evil with blessing. And in doing so, what does the word say? It says that we may inherit a blessing. And there's such a blessing in just letting go, there's such a blessing in just trusting the Lord to deal with that situation. Because here's the thing, when I take matters into my own hands, and you know this to be true, I'm sure you do, if you're honest, it it usually works out very poorly, doesn't it? Uh, I can't really recall off the top of my head times when I've taken matters into my own hands where I'm like, that was the thing to do. That was good. But we're not to, 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 to take vengeance. Vengeance does not belong to us. It's not ours to meet out. It's not our place. First of all, because we want revenge for all the wrong and selfish reasons. We, we want our own retribution. We can be vindictive. We can be uh, judgmental. But God brings perfect justice because God is perfectly just. He's the only one that can bring perfect justice. We are incapable of, of bringing vengeance, really justice, because we're flawed, because we are sinners. Uh, we have a justice system in our country to protect the innocent and punish the guilty. Man, I'm so grateful for the system that we have. Uh, it's not perfect, but I'm glad for it. And, and again, even our puny little justice system, it pales in comparison to the justice that the Lord will bring. It's not our place. Our motives are wrong. Uh, secondly, we don't really see the whole picture. We don't really understand what's going on. How many times have you just been certain that you knew exactly what was going on. You, you knew somebody's motive, you know the situation, and then you turned out to be wrong. Unfortunately, I probably lead the pack in that statistic as well. Uh, we, mis- we don't know people's hearts. We don't know their thoughts. We don't know their minds, but God sees all. Nothing escapes his eye, nothing escapes his ear. He judges perfectly because he sees the heart. He sees the beginning from the end. Thirdly, it's, it's not our place. We don't carry the authority to meet out Justice—that's God's role. And when we do, when we uh, when we seek vengeance on our own, we're really walking as Satan does, and we're usurping God's authority. We're saying, "Lord, I don't trust you to deal with this matter, and so I'm going to take matters into my own hands." Lord, let me just help you out a little bit and deal with this situation. I know you're busy; you got your hands, you know, tied up with other things, and so I'll just do you a favor and, and help you out, man. We see that backfiring uh, in the scripture. Abraham is a wonderful example of what it looks like to try to help the Lord out uh, in a certain situation. You guys know the story. Abraham, the father of faith, God came to him and said, Abe, man, you are going to be the father of of nations. Man, your family is going to be a blessing to the whole world. Like the stars in the sky, like the sands in the sea. Uh, Lord, Abraham said, there's a problem. I'm an old guy. My wife's an old guy. We have no kids How's this gonna work? Just trust me. Just trust me. And the years went by, and they went by, and they went by, and they went by. And Abraham had a, a baby with his wife's servant. He said, well, maybe the Lord, I should help you out a little bit. And Ishmael was born. And it was a disaster. And that's always the way that it is when we take matters into our own hands and try to help the Lord out. It, it's a disaster. He doesn't need our help. And again, by the way, it's us just expressing a lack of faith that we don't trust God to deal with the problem. And then uh, lastly, God has his purposes. God has his perfect timing. When the psalmist says, Lord, how long? I mean, that is an honest and a good question. And it's a question that I ask sometimes. Lord, how long are you going to allow things to go on the way that they're going on? And even to, to say that, I'm coming from this place where like, Lord, you need to deal with these people. We need to deal with, with, with what's going on. But here's the thing that we need to understand, even as, as it says in 2 Peter 3.9, that the Lord is not slack in his promises. Uh, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, God takes no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked, according to Ezekiel 33.11. God doesn't just want to wipe the wicked off the face of the map. No, according to Ezekiel 33.7, he desires for them to turn from their evil ways. See, that's the heart of God. He's not up there just waiting for an excuse to wipe people out. He's patient and long-suffering because he wants to give people an opportunity to repent. As we were hanging out around the campfire one night talking, this this topic came up. Just the depravity that we see and, and the questions that we have. Why, Lord, do you allow this to go on? And one of the guys was saying, you know, I'm so glad that the Lord didn't just smoke me. But the Lord was patient And he gave me an opportunity to turn from my evil ways and to be forgiven. And that ought to be our hearts as Christians. Lord, not when are you going to destroy them, but Lord, cause them to fall on their knees in humility before you and turn from their sin and turn towards you. Now that is one that's really easy to sit here and talk about on Wednesday night, but it is much more difficult to actually put into practice But I'm so glad for the grace and the mercy uh, that the Lord gave to me. It's not our job to avenge. It's our job to bless. Really, the Lord has freed us up in that, hasn't he? Boy, he just said, hey, you're free. You don't have to worry about it. You can just give it to me and move on with your life, and you can rest assured that it'll get dealt with in the proper way at the proper time. Uh, It's good. Uh, And so uh, the wicked, it, it says, they boast of their wickedness. And again, we see that taking place in our culture currently. I understand what the psalmist was saying. I watched this kind of man-on-the-street deal that a certain group puts out. And, you know, they have their sandwich board put up, and it's basically just uh, he's trying to engage people about the topic of abortion. And one of these shorts that came up, you know, there's this young lady who's just like belligerently just run them up one side and down the other. And she's like, man, I've had four abortions, and I'm proud of it, and I can't wait to have another one. And I'm just like, whoa, man, that young lady is so deceived. But she's just, she's boastful. She's so glad that she's, because she doesn't understand. But the wicked, they they, they boast in their ways. We have Pride Month and we have Pride Marches. And the audacity to hijack God's symbol of grace. Don't forget that he wiped out the population of the world for perverseness and then gave us a rainbow to promise he would never do that again, and then we throw that back in his face. Man, if people understood the reality of that, they would shudder. Uh, there's a story of a, a young lady who robbed a bank. I think it was like in North Dakota or somewhere up there. Uh, but she robbed the bank and then she went on YouTube and made a video about how she robbed the bank. Check this out guys, woo, look what I did. She went to jail. <laughs> yes, that's what happens when you do that. But the wicked, they boast and we see it. and. and we just have to trust the Lord, that, that he will deal with that. Let us be those who boast in the grace and the love of God and uh, give the rest to the Lord. Uh, it's the widow and the orphan that are being attacked. It's the, the, they represent the most vulnerable uh, of society. And so that, that's kind of the idea. So verse 1 through 7 uh, really is uh, just uh, that call for God to uh, deal with Uh, with the wicked. And now we get into kind of the warning of judgment in the next few verses. Uh, Verse eight says, understand you senseless among the people and you fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, shall he not hear? And he who formed the eye, shall he not see? And he who instructs the nations, shall he not correct? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man that they are futile. Uh, Blessed is the man whom you instruct, O Lord, and teach out of your law, that you may give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not cast off his people, nor will he forsake his inheritance, but judgment will return to righteousness, and all the upright in heart will follow it. So uh, there's a warning there to the wicked that judgment is coming. That the Lord sees all. The Lord hears a, uh, he, he made the eyeballs in your head and the ears on the side of your head. He, he, he made the world. He, he, he hears. He sees. He's, he knows your thoughts. He knows your heart. Justice will be met out. Uh, Galatians 6-7 tells us that God's not mocked. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh... Uh, will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. That's that's a promise. That's not a, an if sort of situation. And so uh, there's a warning uh, to the the wicked. But then there's also this idea of, of a separation, the separation of, of the righteous from the wicked. That there's a warning to the wicked that they will be judged, but there's also a promise to the righteous that they will be delivered. Uh, but judgment will return to righteousness, and all upright in heart will follow it. For the Lord will not cast off his people, nor will he forsake his inheritance. See, the wicked will be dealt with, but, but the righteous won't be dealt with in the same manner. Uh, the Lord's not just going to cast down a blanket judgment on the earth. See, that's why uh, I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. Right, I, I believe that's what the Bible teaches, that, that we will be... Uh, taken out before God's wrath is, is poured out on this uh, earth. Uh, that's what Psalm 94 tells us, that, that we won't be judged with the wicked. Uh, you think of, of Lot being taken out of Sodom before it's destroyed. The Lord wouldn't destroy Sodom and tell Lot the, the, there was not very many righteous there. Uh, I mean, it started out, at a, there's 100, Lord, if there's 50, Lord, if there's 20, Lord, if there's... and it's just down to, to Lot and a few people. But the Lord wouldn't destroy Sodom until the righteous were removed. And, and this tribulation period that is in the future of this world, the, the wrath of God, the day of wrath. Right? The, the tribulation, or the, the rapture happens first. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. I'll just read this. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, harpazo, together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. It wouldn't be very comforting that we knew the Lord was going to come snatch us up after the tribulation. Uh, It's comforting to know that we're going to be taken before everything flies apart. Before God's wrath is poured out. Of uh, 1 Thessalonians uh, 5, 9, just after this, it goes on to say, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to attain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, God is love, God is just. God already poured out his wrath for your sin, God already poured out his wrath for my sin. Where did the, God's wrath for our sin go? Upon Jesus. For all of our sin, past, present, and future. Now, could you imagine if the Lord poured out his wrath on us again for the sin that Jesus paid for? That's not loving or just. It doesn't make sense. When Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished, and he meant it is finished. That's it. It is paid for. It is done. He who knew no sin became sin that I might become the righteousness of God. Uh, Interesting conversation that we can have if you uh, are in another camp. Understand that it's not a deal-breaker. It's not a main thing. But understand it does affect the way that you live your life. Um, We're to be ready for the Lord to come at any minute. And if we believe all these things have to happen first, then we're not looking for Jesus. We're looking for events. Don't fall into that trap. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Be looking for him. Uh, And then there's this last section, uh, starting in verse 16 of Psalm 94. It says, who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul would have settled in silence. If I say my foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. Shall the throne of iniquity, which devise evil by law, have fellowship with you? They gather together against the life of the righteous And condemn innocent blood, but the Lord has been my defense and my God, the rock of my refuge. He has brought on them their own iniquity and shall cut them off in their own wickedness. The Lord our God shall cut them off. So, in the time being, we live in a season now. I love the way these two Psalms go together, too. Uh, The Lord reigns supreme, He's sovereign, He's in control, His will will be done. End of story. But for a season, because of the fall of man, Satan is allowed to have this period of reign. He's an under ruler. Still, still, he's Prince John. But while we see this destruction, while we see this injustice during the season, we can say, Lord, man, who's going to stand up for me in the meantime? Who's going to take care? Who's going to keep my foot from slipping? Who's going to be my refuge and my rock and my safety in the midst of all of this? And the answer, of course, is the Lord. The answer for us is, is Jesus. When we look around and see the destruction and the hurt, when we experience it, when we're put in that situation, to where we have to say, Lord, vengeance isn't mine, but it belongs to you. Who's going to keep your foot from slipping? Who's going to keep your faith from wavering? And it, It's the Lord, and that is, is the whole idea. The Lord will. What, what, what wicked men mean for evil, God means for good. And the Lord is working all things together for good for those who love him those who are called according to his purposes if you belong to him he will stand up for you Uh, we're free from worrying about all of that and we're freed up to just uh, bless him Um, and in the the multitude uh, of my anxieties uh, within me your comforts delight my soul and we don't have to be anxious for anything And the Lord is the one who comforts us in the midst of all the anxiety-inducing things that we live amongst, and we can just give it to the Lord. And that's what the Bible says, that we can go to the Lord, be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication, make your requests known. prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known unto God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's a pretty good deal. Jesus said, I've sent you the comforter to bring us comfort in the midst of it. Uh, because we know, even as the last few verses say, uh, their sins are going to catch up to them. Because sin always catches up to us. Again, God is not mocked. Don't be deceived. Whatsoever man sows that, he will also reap. And we can trust the Lord in that. And I just love that. It, it really encourages us. We can leave this place and walk out into a fallen world and we can say, hey, my job's not to judge. My job's not to bring vengeance. My job is to repay evil with blessing and let the Lord take care of the rest. If I'm honest, that sounds a lot better than chasing somebody down on my Harley and ripping them out of their car and then getting shot, probably. You just say, Lord, we give it to you. We just get to love. And so leave encouraged that the Lord is on the throne, that even though things are crazy sometimes, someday they'll be made right, and he will come. He's coming. The king is coming, and he's going to rule rightly. And until the meantime, he's the one who comforts our anxieties He's the one who brings peace. He's the one who keeps our foot from slipping. We can rest in that. Amen? So, Lord, thank you so much, again, for your word. Lord, I pray that it would just shore us up in those areas that, that we're weak. I thank you, Lord, that you reign, that you're on the throne, even now, that, that through the cross you defeated wickedness and evil forever. And, Lord, even now, while Satan usurps your authority Because you've let them, Lord, we know that you have your plan. We know that you have your purposes. We know that your timing is just right. And we thank you that in the meantime, that vengeance is still yours. That we need not concern ourselves with getting back or getting even. But Lord, we can walk in what you've called us to do. And that is to return evil with blessing. And I pray, Lord, that as we leave this place, when we're tempted to be discouraged when we're tempted to to let our faith be shaken, that we would remember the truth of your word. Lord, thank you that it's sure. Thank you that it's steadfast. Thank you, Lord, that you are our our foundation and our shelter. Um, Please be with us as we go our way. And again, thank you for the freedom that we get to walk in. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this teaching of God's Word presented by Siskiyou Christian Fellowship. We pray it's blessed you and given you a greater understanding of the Bible. To learn more about us, visit siskiyouchristianfellowship.com.